Welcome to the Growing Up Rock podcast with Stephen Michael and Sunny Hollywood Pooney. We made it to 200 episodes. Thanks for staying with us through the crazy ride. At times, we give you a sneak peek behind the curtain about the happenings before the recording button is hit. So here you go. Stop humming that song. I can hum if I want to. I know you can. I'm asking you to stop. Well, if you're asking, then I'll stop. Thank you. Could you not smile like that? Now you're asking me to mask my emotions because of how it makes you feel? That I will not do. Seriously, stop humming, okay? This isn't accounting or wherever the hell you and your little pocket calculator were transferred from. Forensic accounting, okay? And it's an important part of the job. Yeah, whatever. Stop being so overtly happy about doing shit work, you moron. You know what I just did? I just walked out that door, and I was about to start bad-mouthing you behind your back, but I stopped myself because my pops taught me that a man who talks behind somebody's back is a coward. Wow, I actually appreciate that. Good, because I'm going to tell you directly to your face. No, you don't have to. No, I don't like you. The sound of your piss hitting the urinal, it sounds feminine. Mm -hmm. If we were in the wild, I would attack you. Even if you weren't in my food chain, I would go out of my way to attack you. If I were a lion and you were a tuna, I would swim out in the middle of the ocean and freaking eat you. And then I'd bang your tuna girlfriend. Okay, first off, a lion swimming in the ocean? Lions don't like water. If you'd placed it near a river or some sort of fresh water source, that'd make sense. But you find yourself in the ocean, 20-foot wave, I'm assuming it's off the coast of South Africa, coming up against a full-grown 800-pound tuna with his 20 or 30 friends, you lose that battle. You lose that battle nine times out of ten. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope.
do 200 episodes and a little sneak peek behind the Iron Curtain, so to speak, for the listeners on what goes on in a daily operation of the Growing Up Rock podcast for 200 freaking episodes. Can you believe it? Yeah, the only way we got through it is we don't have to see each other every time. Otherwise, there's no way we last. No way at all. As long as we have Despot to go along with everything else that goes on here, it's all good. Yeah, because it allows me to hang up and then go, F you, and then I go on with my life. (laughs) You know what's amazing is when I first started this thing and went after you to come in as my co-host, one of the things I was worried about was that we had too similar taste and it wouldn't be enough of a contrast throughout the episodes. You know, it wasn't like I was getting somebody that was a death metal fan and then myself who liked melodic hard rock and classic rock. You and I are bang zone of rock and roll is that melodic hard rock, big vocals, classic rock. That's our bang zone for both of us. But there couldn't be two totally different people when it comes to taste on some of this stuff. We're aligned on some of it, but we are misaligned on a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. Our entire relationship is those two circles that you see sometimes and they intersect for a little bit but there's still an outside to them. That's what we are because when it comes to the ballads and like some of the other stuff that I like, like I don't like too proggy, I don't like too preachy, but it's got to be kind of in the kind of a little bit of a bang zone. You know, there was always going to be that three to four year age difference and just different stories because we come from different places and that's been enough. That and just when I think I've got you figured out, Sonny Pooney, big vocals, good melody, hooks, Yeah, that's Pooney in a nutshell. And I'll go and I'll mention something that has all that stuff, at least in my ears it does. And Pooney's like, brutal. I'm like, are you freaking nuts? Are you kidding me? How is that brutal? It has everything that you like. Now I just think you're messing with me. (laughs) No, it's got to hit my ear in a certain way. And uh, it's got to catch me in a certain mood. You know, sometimes it's got to remind me of something. Like, I I don't know. My tastes aren't usually very flighty. But uh, it's not in one box, I guess, is the way to put it. You heard it here first, folks. Exactly what Pooney said. He doesn't even know what the hell he Yeah, likes. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> how, how can you know? Like, I like some Megadeth and I like Bobby Womack. Like, it's so hard and it's so vast, but I don't like everything in between. That's the difference. Man, so it's been a fun ride. 200 episodes and going strong. We've done a lot of great stuff. We've interviewed a lot of great people. We've had a lot of great content and interaction with people. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from people that this has really been their go-to each week and they enjoy it and it entertains them. And truthfully, we kind of did this podcast because it entertains us. And we like talking music and rock and roll, and it gets us away from our daily lives each week. But we're also entertaining other people, which is a bonus for us. So while I look at podcasts in general, especially music podcasts, as the circus magazines and the uh, Metal Edge magazines of today, because really magazines are sort of out of print. So this is your piece of music history, music goof off, whatever you want to call it, for people of the future. You know, for that young kid that doesn't know anything about, in this particular case, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. So hopefully this helps shed a little bit of light on that. Yeah, for me, I've said it before. I just don't have a lot of people I can talk music with. So for me, it was kind of a release, just like you said, you know, get away for daily lives. And my guess is, although our two wives probably don't listen to every one of our episodes, they're damn glad that we got 200 episodes out there because it was 
400 less hours of shit they had to hear from us about. Do you know who the third basis in the end machine is? <laughs> My wife, unfortunately, has picked up a lot of that information over the years going to Monsters of Rock cruises with us. <laughs> Yeah, my wife is very happy that I talk about that kind of stuff to somebody else. I'm sure my wife uh, just entertains me with uh, some of her knowledge that she's picked up along the way. But honestly, she could probably care less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's been a good ride. Uh, 200 episodes. You know what? There's a lot of podcasts we know that won't make it to 200 or didn't make it to 200. Um, and then we've got a couple of friends that obviously are also coming up around 200. So, but, uh, you know, four years. We haven't missed a week. Nope. Not one week we haven't missed. And if you count the episodes, truthfully, we got more than 200 out there just from bonus episodes alone. I mean, we've probably done at least, if I had to guess over the three, four years that we've been doing this, we've probably got at least 25 to 50 bonus episodes, I think. We have probably 500 or so hours of entertainment out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. Because there's a few episodes that are running two and three hours long. Uh, we try to stay away from that. We try to keep it right at about an hour, hour and a half. But uh, we definitely go over, especially if we're having a good time. It only took us 200 episodes, but I think we're finally starting to find our, our sweet zone. And that's when we do these episodes, like tonight's episode, that really spark debate amongst listeners and people that belong to the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and Twitter and all the social media people. People love to go back and forth on something that they're really passionate about. And tonight is no exception in that. So a few months back, I think September of last year, we did a Rat versus Motley Crew episode and it sparked a lot of debate. And the reason I think that is, is because both Rat and Motley Crue are very well-known bands in our genre. They're both loved by a lot of people, but Motley Crue, clearly the bigger band than the two bands. And so it sparked a lot of debate. Well, we've got a similar situation here tonight, which is Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, both huge British metal bands, both loved by their fans. Both bands were huge in the 80s, but only one of those bands today can still fill arenas and stadiums on their own in all corners of the world. So why? What went wrong? Why did one fall by the wayside and the other one advance so much? And people are still very passionate about both bands. And in tonight's case, I think you'll find a lot of people love both of these bands. It's not one or the other, but both. So in growing up rock fashion, you know, before we get into the main topic, we got to do this. <laughs> It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight kind of goes along with the theme of Maiden versus Priest. And we've got the new one from Smith and Kotzen. Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden got together with one of Sonny's man crushes in Richie Kotzen, and they put out an album basically just called Smith and Kotzen. And for me, it was a huge surprise because I really didn't know what this was going to sound like. I think Adrian Smith is sort of a secret weapon for Maiden in that he comes up with a lot of these riffs that I love from Maiden. So I really like Adrian Smith's writing, but I had no clue. And I mean, zero clue. This guy sings and whether he could sing well or not, I had no clue. Holy shit. 
the guy can sing. Check out this song called Taking My Chances.
And who knew that he had kind of a bluesy piece to him too, right? Because a lot of the Iron Maiden stuff is straight ahead metal and almost is rooted in a little bit of punk more than it is blues at times. It's hard to tell when Adrian's playing and when Richie's playing, at least to my ear. The voice, I got him down. There's no doubt there's a separation. But I couldn't pick out the guitars. Could you pick it out? I couldn't pick out the guitars, and I also couldn't pick out some of the vocals right away. You're much more versed in Kotzen, and I've come on to love Kotzen's voice over the last few years. But there were some times where I was like, okay, it sort of doesn't sound like Kotzen, but it sort of does. So there were a couple places where I wasn't quite sure. And this is an extremely bluesy rock record. Uh, and if you like that song, I think that you'll like the rest of the record. To me, I like this record a lot. It was a big surprise for me. How about you? Yeah, it's interesting to me, and we won't know the answer to this question that I'm going to ask because neither Richie nor Adrian, even if we got a chance to interview him, would probably tell you. But is this more Kotzen writing or is this more Adrian writing? Because to me, it sounds like a Kotzen album with Adrian helping. Now, if it's not, then that means Adrian Smith has a Stevie Ray Vaughan type album in him that he can go put out right now if he wanted. All he needs is a couple of months. Well, I'll tell you what. On YouTube, there is a five or six minute trailer promo for the album that goes through the making of the record with both Kotzen and Adrian Smith. And it kind of sheds light on how this record came about, how they went about recording it. They basically recorded it all at Richie's house. And it came together because both Adrian Smith's wife and Richie Kotzen's wife were friends and bought the two of them together. I guess they live pretty close to each other in Los Angeles. And that's kind of how the record came about, from what I understand. And it looked like they both had equal hands in the writing of it, at least in that trailer anyway. Yeah, the hard part is hard to tell, right? Because the music, they're kind of labeling it as Whitesnake-esque, but that's really on Kotzen's side, not on Adrian's normal side, right? So you immediately assume that Richie had a stronger hand in the writing because it's closer to what Richie normally does, but we don't know that for sure. Yeah, to me, it sounds not so much Whitesnake-esque, but more of like a Tyler Bryant just like a straight up blues guy, like that Philip Sace guy that we used to play on here, you know, a blues guitar player that decided to be a little bit more rock than blues. Uh, that's what it reminds me more of. Uh, and I love it. The nice thing about this is going to be unlike many projects that they can't take on the road live. These guys live next to each other. Richie has a bass player and a drummer that he works with constantly and Maiden is good about when they do shows, they do them in clumps and they take time off in clumps. So this is actually pretty doable if they wanted to take it on the road. It's too late to save Cause you see, I love the priest. I love the Maiden. You understand what I'm saying? I love them both. And if loving them both is wrong, I don't want to be right. You ready to get into tonight's discussion? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you know, on social media, we had to like, we almost had to intervene and separate some people into their own corners. 
We won't mention names, but damn, this fight was getting ugly. <laughs> there is a lot of passion for Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, and there was a lot of stuff said in some of our chat groups that I can't get on board with. I, I didn't agree in any way. I understood what they were saying, but I didn't necessarily agree. I'll just say up front, over the course of this podcast, I haven't personally talked a lot about my top 10 all-time bands. Obviously, Van Halen is my number one band. That's the band that brought me in. And we've talked a lot about that and paid homage to that over the course of the last several months and are still doing it with the album reviews each month. Other than that, I haven't really talked a lot. Both Judas Priest and Iron Maiden are in my top 10 bands of all time. And the way I approached my top 10 bands is much different than the way Sonny approaches his. For me, if I was drawing your logo on my folder in high school, you're a top 10 band of mine. And that's all there is to it. Because if I took the time to scribble your name on my folder in my shitty handwriting and try to try to recreate your logo, that means that I really loved your music. And Judas Priest and Iron Maiden were two of those bands for me, personally. So which one do I like better? I'm not sure we're going to get to the bottom of that in this episode. But I'll definitely talk about both sides on the good and the bad. Because both sides have a good and a bad side for me, personally. So let's talk about quick data for the priest. The beast that is the priest. Formed in 1969, Birmingham, England. Same place that Black Sabbath comes from. 18 studio albums. Six live albums. Six compilation albums. Seven platinum. Four gold. One Billboard Hot 100 single. Anybody want to guess what that song was? You got it. Another thing coming. They've had 19 members overall total. So that's it for Priest. You want to take us through Maiden? Some quick data on Maiden formed in 75. So they're running about six years behind Priest. And this is going to come up several times because when we start talking about kind of the bang zone of when they were the most popular, it matches somewhat, but then there's a tail off for Priest and Maiden keeps going for a little bit. And it might be because Maiden started six years later, but we'll get to that. They're formed in London, 16 studio albums, 13 live albums. Maiden loves putting out live albums. It comes, a new one comes out like every couple of years. A new one just came out live in Mexico City, seven compilations. They've got five platinum albums to Priest seven, three gold albums to Priest four, and they've never had a Billboard Hot 100 single. Maiden has had 23 members total. Now, both for Priest and Maiden, I will have to tell you that a lot of these member changes were early in their career. They have a piece of their longevity that has a similar lineup all the way through. And now at the tail end, it's changing a little bit for Priest, but not really for Maiden. They kind of combined some of their changes. So, you know, what does that tell you? Well, LA Guns has had 50 members, right? Great White's getting to 30, 35. Like, that's ridiculous. These guys have been around forever. And honestly, except for the beginning and a little bit at the end, they haven't had a ton of member changes. So that's really cool. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So what we did was we went on social media. And, you know, I like asking simple questions. Some people gave me some heartache that they're not simple questions. To me, they are simple questions if you don't think about them too much. And all I asked was, Judas Priest versus Iron Maiden. Who's better? Who's more popular? Which one do you like best and why? And I'm telling you, 
The amount of comments that we got in such a quick time frame was unbelievable. It was very similar to the hated band episode that we did. I think people love saying what they like or don't like about some of the bands they're passionate about, and uh, which is great. The Facebook vote, I kind of added it up a little because it wasn't a true vote, but people during the comments, you know, kind of shared whether they like Priest or Maiden. And in that Facebook, all those comments, about 2% said neither, which that's okay. Then basically you're not a rock or metal fan. That's okay. 8% couldn't choose at all. 36% chose Priest. 54% chose Maiden. On the Twitter vote, we actually had folks voting. We got around 200 votes. 20.6%, this matters why I got the decimal in there, said I can't choose. 29.4% chose Priest. And 50% chose Maiden. So even for the folks that can't choose, even if we said all 20.6% of those were Priest fans more than they were Maiden, it'd be a 50-50 split. Okay, so all kinds of, I mean, you would get a ping that said Priest is everything that everybody wants out of metal and Maiden is overrated. And then the very next thing would be Maiden is awesome. I love Dickinson and Halford never moves when he plays live and blah. It was crazy. What'd you think about the voting statistics? Voting statistics were interesting because I didn't know any of the numbers. All I knew was what I was reading. And to me, it was literally like split down the middle. Like you said, every time you would get a comment, why priest ruled, you'd get another comment as to why Iron Maiden ruled. So it was back and forth like that the entire time. So I couldn't get a bearing on, because I mean, you know me, I can't count. So I couldn't get a bearing on what the statistics were as far as who was liking what. So just speaking for myself personally, that's probably me. I'm 50%. I'm down the middle with both these bands. For different reasons, uh, both of these vans were very integral in my growing up rock years, and I'll talk more about that as we go through this.
So we've got a few general comments that we're going to share with you. And then we're going to kind of take like a songwriting type approach and talk about both. We're going to talk about live. We're going to talk about merchandising. We're talking about the members. So we're going to kind of split it up a little bit. Some general comments right out of the gate. Soon as this social media post came up, Tom Nuremberg says, this is a true Sophie's choice. TP for my bunghole Twitter <laughs> account. What can I say? Uh, that's like asking a parent who their fave kid is or asking what's important, water or air. The world would not be as magnificent as it is without either of those bands. Some days you want progressive metal. Maiden brings that to the table. Other days you crave the raw in-your-face metal that is Priest. Righty, a buddy of ours, who they're about to come up on 200 if they haven't released it already. For some metal fans, such as myself, this is a very difficult question. Right now I'm on a Judas Priest kick, and last week it was Maiden. Priest seems to be more straightforward metal and Maiden is more prog metal these days. I think Maiden is more popular. Talent-wise, I think Maiden has the edge because they have more writers contributing songs. Although if you go by the latest releases by both bands, Firepower blows away Book of Souls. So my first question I wanted to kind of talk to you about is, do you think Maiden is more popular? Because let's face it, right now, Maiden is pretty much more popular because they can sell out stadiums. But do you think that is because both bands are attracting hard rock metal fans, but Maiden's also attracting prog fans. Well, here's the interesting thing. I don't think that I necessarily viewed Maiden in the early years, especially not the first two albums. And then let's get into the Dickinson years with Number of the Beast, Power Slave, Peace of Mind, those records. I don't view them or didn't view them as a progressive metal band. Now, over the years, you know, starting at like Seventh Son on down, maybe a little bit more progressive, Book of Souls, stuff like that. I think all in all, Judas Priest is definitely more of a straight ahead metal band. There's no doubt about that. You pose an interesting question. And I think it's possible. Sure. And I know Harris absolutely hates it when people call them punk, those first two albums. But let's come on. They are part punk, those first two albums, yep. right? So if they're pulling in Sex Pistols, then they move into straight ahead metal. So they're pulling in the new wave of British heavy metal fans. Then they kind of go a little bit more mainstream when it gets to the mid eighties and they're pulling in the Bon Jovi Scorpions fans like they did me. Mm -hmm. And then they go a little more progressive and they're pulling in the dream theater rush type fan just have more mass appeal when it comes down to it. Right? Yeah. They're covering all the aspects of metal and they've always been cool. So I think that they've probably even appealed to the black metal, dark metal heads from that time period, you know? So, and let's face it, when have you ever heard musicians or bass players in general talk about Ian Hill and his playing? I mean, he's virtually faceless. Uh, whereas Steve Harris as great a guitar players as Murray and Adrian Smith are, and they are great guitar players, a lot of people talk or gravitate towards Steve Harris uh, as a bass player. Sing your head. 
So let's move to the songwriting. A couple of comments from some of our listeners. Bongo Fury 2000 says Maiden hands down. Why? Because of one word, turbo. Ooh, that's a little rough. And that dude's handle makes me believe that he's a massive bongo player. So I don't know how much weight that carries. Bongo Fury. <laughs> Maybe it's supposed to be Boko Fury. Buy one, get one. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Twisted Kister said Maiden. Better songs and albums. Priest has a couple of different rust spots in their catalog. For me, some of the subpar Maiden has redeeming moments and are still listenable, and their top shelf stuff is many levels above Judas Priest's best. It's an opinion. Dan Keenan, Maiden. Both are great, but main songwriting is God tier. No one does it quite like them. Brian O'Connell, I prefer newer Priest to newer Maiden. Going on classic albums alone, I'd probably say Maiden is the better band, even though I personally like Priest better. Alex Alt, Priest is my fave. Maiden probably wins the vote in terms of popularity, but I like Priest way more than Maiden, mainly for the songwriting. I think the songs are catchier and well-constructed. You can sing the guitar solos. I think Rob's voice is better than Bruce's and just more consistent catalog of music. So this is a good time to say, as we go through all this stuff, no bigger point has been proven than music is opinionated here because all these things are complete opinions. and. I hear where most of these people are coming from. I agree with some of it. I don't agree with the other parts of it. It's interesting to hear just the passion that comes from these people's words, because this is their words. You're basically taking their post and uh, we're sharing it with people. So it's awesome. And except for a select few, really nobody took a hard shot at Priest or a hard shot at Maiden. It was almost like in most cases, both are very, very well respected as they should be. I don't think you should be taking shots at them, but, uh, well, some of the grunge guys take some shots at Maiden. I don't really see any of the grunge guys taking shots at Priest ever. Well, and I think one thing is really clear with most of these people's posts and with these two bands, with the amount of time that both these bands have been around, let's face it, both these bands have subpar shit and awesome shit. They have periods in their career that is just amazing and periods in their career that we don't like. I mean, there's no other way to say it. We don't like. And it's no different for either of these bands. Yeah, and we've talked about it before. Well, I'll tell you, Priest is not in my top 10 bands. Priest does not have a album that I say is a Desert Island album for me. Maiden is in my top 10 bands. Maiden does not have an album that would be a Desert Island album for me. So if I was stranded, I wouldn't be listening to either, I guess. How about you? Both are in my top 10. I don't know which one is ahead of which one. Both of them are very near and dear to my heart. Priest has a Desert Island record for me in Screaming for Vengeance. Maiden, to be honest, I would have to revisit because I thought one of them was, was a Desert Island record till you guys made me aware of the dinosaur song. So I got to go back and listen to... <laughs> Off of Peace of Mind, because I thought Peace of Mind was a Desert Island record, but maybe not. I don't know. I have to go back and listen to that. I know my bang zone for Priest and Maiden is probably real close in time frame. For Maiden, it's number beast Peace of Mind, Power Slave. That's my bang zone for Maiden. And for Priest, it's um, British Steel and... Screaming for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith. That's my bang zone for Priest. 
doesn't mean I don't like other stuff. I love a lot of other stuff. In fact, the first Maiden record for me was actually Killers. So that's what brought me into the Maiden fold. So going with the songwriting still, Jeff Martin says Maiden pretty much has dialed in consistent sound where Priest has been all over the place musically with varying results over the course of their career. Both are still fantastic live, but I'd rather hear a new Priest album than a Maiden album, especially after Firepower. That said, I'm going with Maiden because of the sheer greatness of the first seven albums. So what I ended up doing is, you know, I knew we were going to talk about songwriting and I'm like, okay, neither one of these bands are really huge in the States, but they are both from the UK and they both were MTV and they both released singles. So I went through their catalog and picked through and came up with the most popular 13 from each side, both Maiden and Priest. And the way I came up with those 13 was UK charts, US charts, release singles, MTV videos. There's at least one song on each side that is brutal, but I added it because it was one of their popular songs. I don't know why they were popular. I don't know if we'd agree which one of those on each side are brutal, by the way. I know one that's brutal off the priest side right away. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we might not agree on which one that is, because uh, there's technically two on the priest side that aren't great. But anyway, uh, so those 13 songs were, on the Iron Maiden side, I had Run to the Hills, Number of the Beast, Flight of Icarus, The Trooper, Two Minutes to Midnight, Aces High, Stranger in a Strange Land, Wasted Years, Can I Play With Madness, The Evil That Men Do, Holy Smoke, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, Be Quick or Be Dead. Now, when you hear that list, you're probably thinking, wait a second, that's like 82 to 92. And the reason I kept that was that is the main Dickinson era that really created the legacy versus I went with the main Halford era that really created the legacy. Okay. On the pre side, the 13 songs were Living After Midnight, Breaking the Law, United, Heading out to the highway, you've got another thing coming, electric eye, free will burning, some heads are going to roll, turbo lover, locked in, Johnny be good, painkiller, and a touch of evil. So what I did for both Steve and I is I put each of these songs one after the other, right? So the Maiden songs with, with Run of the Hills starting at 82 and Be Quick or Be Dead ending in 92 and pre-starting with Living After Midnight and ending with A Touch of Evil in 91. I put one after the other to try to get an idea of what is the difference, like what is happening that is creating this legacy that is so different today with these two bands. And the question I want to ask you is, did you realize the energy difference? See, to me, Maiden songs, these 13, overall had more energy than the pre-songs did because some of them were a little draggy. Did you catch that? Yeah, it depends on what you're talking about, but sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I feel strong about 90% of these songs. And the gallop creates energy to me. And I think that's what, you know, that's all Steve Harris, right? That's, well, not all Steve Harris, it's Nico too, right? But the gallop is kind of this Iron Maiden trademark now that Priest had the dual guitars, but so does Maiden. But that gallop creates this energy that is undeniable. So when you go from song to song to song to song to song, until we got to like electric eye, free will burning, even painkiller touch of evil, the energy didn't really punch through on the priest side like it did on the maiden side for me. Since both hosts didn't actually mention what the Spotify playlist was named, the playlist is called Iron Maiden versus Judas Priest the Big 13. The link is in the show notes for you to enjoy. Here is a gem off that list called Painkiller.
the Maiden song, that Holy Smoke song is brutal. <laughs> and it was a major hit in the UK. So I'll just say this. If we're going to talk about both of these sets of songs, from the list from The Evil That Men Do, Holy Smoke, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, and Be Quick or Be Dead, are all sort of myth to me. And to be fair, they're probably myth because at this point in Maiden's career, I was sort of checked out with Maiden. And that's just being honest. But songs like Run of the Hills, Number of the Beast, Flight of Icarus, Trooper, Two Minutes to Midnight, Ace is High, Stranger in a Strange Land, Wasted Years, even Can I Play with Madness, I don't hate. I know Steve Wright, our buddy over there, hates that song. I don't hate it. But those songs for me are super, super strong. So that's my feeling on the Maiden side of things. The Priest side of things are a little bit more straight ahead for me. But Johnny Be Good is brutal. That cover is awful. I don't even know why they ever did that song for that movie, whatever. Uh, it's just, no, I hate that song. I hate that version. I can't stand it. But the rest of their songs on this playlist, I don't hate any of them. I'm burned on some of them, but I don't hate any of them. Yeah. On the Maiden side, Holy Smoke is the only song that out of that group, I was like, <laughs> the pre side, dude, United is really bad. I'm sorry. So United is an interesting tune. You're not the only person that feels that way about that song. And I get it because it comes off of British Steel. And honestly, it's sort of the odd man out on that record a little bit. It's almost their attempt at trying to be poppy and anthemic at the same time. I don't hate it, but I do understand why some people don't like it. So I get it. Yeah. And this is where I kind of notice the difference. It's like, okay, so you go from Electric Eye 82 to Free Will Burning 83 to Some Heads Are Gonna Roll in 84. So they're still kind of in that straight ahead rock, two guitars, you know, they're seen as the new wave of British heavy metal, blah, blah, blah. You know, on the Maiden side at the same time frame, they're doing Icarus, Trooper, Two Minutes to Midnight, Aces High. So they are in the bang zone of who they're going to be and becoming ultra popular at this point. Maiden in the next step goes to Wasted Years, which was all over MTV. Stranger in a Strange Land, Can I Play with Madness? Again, all over MTV. Where Priest, for Priest lovers anyway, goes to Turbo and goes to Turbo Lover and Locked In. I will tell you, they were trying to go get the Bon Jovi Cinderella rat fans. They got me because they wouldn't have had me if it wasn't for Locked In. I don't even give Priest a chance if it wasn't for Locked In. They actually lost me at Turbo Lover. Now, when that came out, I was kind of like, this is not my Priest. What are they wearing? They're wearing all fancy clothes and he's playing a guitar synthesizer. I did not dig that upon its release. Now, that being said, over the years... It wasn't a situation where I hated it. It wasn't some heads are going to roll or free wheel burning. Come on. So I stuck around with it. And as I got older and as I went back and listened to that record, I like that record a lot. It's still definitely not even close to being my bang zone of Priest, but I definitely like that record. I think it gets beat up way more than it should. Uh, I think there's a lot of good material on that. And that's what I would say about Turbo Lover. And then Johnny B. Good was a disaster. I love Rob, and yes, Rob sings it well, but that's not a song that should be done by Judas Priest. Brutal. <laughs> and then to come with Painkiller and Touch of Evil is like they're trying to regain their roots with like this tough, heavy metal, blah, blah, but it's 1990 now. 
right? So everything that's selling right now is Warrant, Great White, <laughs> uh, Skid Row, blah, blah, blah. And here comes Priest with Painkiller. And I'm not sure those fans really gave him a chance. And the folks that jumped off at Turbo Lover probably were not ready to come back yet. And by the time they come back, we'll talk about a little bit later, Halford's gone. It's possible that that created this legacy issue because these guys who are at least from our generation that are still selling out stadiums, you know, you can't count on the who and the stones. They're not from our generation, right? But the guys that are from our generation that are still selling out stadiums, the Bon Jovi's of the world, they made their bones between 84 and 90. That's where their, their legacy is coming from. That's the people that are going to go see them. And from 84 to 90 on the priest side, it's meh, right? Yeah, but here's what I'll tell you. I saw Maiden on the Fear of the Dark tour. I'm relatively sure. It could have been the No Prayer for the Dying, but it was around that time frame. And they played here in Atlanta. And they played an outdoor amphitheater. And they could not give tickets away to that show. There was nobody there. I mean, I was like, wow. I went. I had a good time, <laughs> but I thought they were done for. Somewhere over the years, Iron Maiden, and I don't know whether it's been the documentaries like 666 or what, but somewhere over the years, Iron Maiden grew worldwide to be this big thing. And we can point the finger at merchandising and Eddie and all these different things. I get it, and I don't disagree but that wasn't what made Maiden big during that time frame. What happened? Because I don't know the answer to it. Because they were selling no tickets, at least not at the show here in Atlanta. I can't speak for the rest of the country, but I don't think that tour did all that well. Dickinson leaves. Adrian Smith leaves. They bring in Blaze Bailey. Those records sure didn't do very well. So... What the hell happened over the course of that time to bring them to today where they're selling out stadiums? I saw them last year, the year before here in Atlanta on this uh, Legacy of the Beast tour, packed, sold out, boom. And it's not like they got a three-band package with them and other popular bands. They had that Raven band with them, Raven Age or whatever, that I just skipped altogether. <laughs> Um, well, I, you know, I'm not a historian on this stuff. I will tell you that when you look at the data, Priest was bigger in the States than Maiden ever was. All the data shows that. There's no doubt about it. So it's possible we have a somewhat skewed view because we're in the States. Worldwide, they've always been bigger worldwide compared to Priest. It's almost as if Priest came to the States a little bit earlier than Maiden did. Maiden held off and maybe came too late. Today, what Maiden does a good job of in the States and almost too good a job of because sometimes you can't get to see them because they only play a few dates. So they force like up here, they'll play like Wheatland, California, which is up by Sacramento. So anybody in a hundred mile radius up here in Northern California, 150 mile radius that wants to see them has to go to Wheatland, California, where if Priest comes, Priest will play in San Francisco Bay Area. They'll play in Sacramento. They'll play in Fresno and LA where Maiden comes, they play in Wheatland and they play in LA. And if you're in San Diego or in Fresno or whatever, better go catch them in LA. Otherwise they're leaving. So I think they do a better job of basically not being all over the place. They're going to do the dates they do. You come see them if you want. If you don't want, don't worry about it. We're going to sell a stadium anyway. So it doesn't matter. 
Well, I think you definitely got a better chance of hearing Judas Priest on classic rock radio, even if it's breaking the law or living after midnight or another thing coming way better than you do hearing any Iron Maiden. I don't care whether it's a trooper or number of the beast or run to the hills. I will say that maybe that's the difference in the U.S. popularity versus the rest of the world. But I will tell you that when Maiden plays the States now, they sell that place out. Because tickets are hard to come by to Maiden shows in the States for the past, what do you think, five years or so? Oh, maybe 10. Yeah, definitely. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so I'm going to take a minute out to recognize the folks that are part of the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. We do a lot of these polls and a lot of these questions and answer things within our private Facebook group, the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. Go over there and join. It's a private group. It's free to join. And we have a lot of conversations with people. It's a non-toxic community, so we keep it pretty positive. Although here for the maiden and priest, it got a little bit heated, but nothing major. For the most part, it's just passionate and positive. So come over to the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and join up today. Thanks. All right, so getting back to the show here, let's talk about the live aspect. So Scott Gull says, full library, Judas Priest wins, hands down. Live, Iron Maiden has a bigger and better show, but both bands are perfect musically, with Bruce's voice starting to show its age, and now he misses a few notes here and there. Crowds, Maiden wins, hands down. Final result, both are amazing, then and now. But I'm going with Priest, as Maiden albums are pretty weak the past 25 years. Scott, 25 years, dude? All right. Okay. Neil Spears, Maiden by a mile. Bruce is a better singer and performer. I've seen Halford live twice, and it's boring. I do like the old Judas Priest songs from British Steel and Screaming for Vengeance. I did not like Maiden's Book of Souls, but I do think most of Final Frontier was good and A Matter of Life and Death was awesome. The performance that Maiden still puts on is mind-blowing. So the question I had for you, and I get it as opinionated, okay? To me, Priest is boring live. I've seen him four times. I saw him in 90 with Megadeth and Testament at the Arco. They're boring. Saw him in 91 twice, back-to-back nights, I think. At the Cal Expo in Shoreline Amphitheater of this thing called Operation Rock and Roll, I thought Priest was one of the worst bands that day. The last time I saw him was 10 years ago in October of 2011. Then Lizzie Open, Black Label Society was support. They were the headliner at Concord Pavilion. And I'll be honest, Zach blew him off the stage. So it's possible maybe I just don't love Priest that much, but to me they were boring. And Live Maiden is way more dynamic. I know you probably don't agree though. Well, I don't think that it's I don't agree. Here's what I'll break it down as. I think Maiden has a lot more energy. I'll definitely give you that. Between Harris and Dickinson, those two guys, and then now the addition of Yannick, who's crazy on stage. That guy's nuts on stage. The three of them keep things going because if you go to Adrian Smith and Dave Murray, they just pretty much stand there and do their thing. So it really comes down to Bruce and Steve Harris and Yannick Garrett. Those are the ones that bring the energy to the Maiden shows. 
I love Maiden Live. I think they're dynamic. I think they're awesome. But I don't think Priest is boring. I enjoyed Priest. The first time I saw Priest was on the Screaming for Vengeance tour. It was February 11th, 1983. It was my second concert overall. And this band from Australia called Heaven opened up. I don't know if anybody remembers Heaven. They had an album called Bent Out. I liked them. And I was on the barrier for the entire show. And I was blown away. I enjoyed them. Now, I saw Priest recently. I saw Maiden recently. And Rob Halford, I think, has health issues of some sort because he really doesn't move a whole lot. He just kind of, you know, walks out on stage with a cane and sings. So I can understand where somebody was like, they're boring. Ian Hill doesn't do anything. I think the addition and the young injection of Richie Faulkner has helped them a lot and has made them not quite as boring, but I'd understand somebody's point. But to Scott's point, musically, they both sound really good live still today.
So let's move to marketing and global appeal. Greg Spicoli Renault says, whoever is better is subjective. Clearly Iron Maiden is more popular worldwide. Not that that's of any importance. I love them both dearly, but Maiden still makes the hair on my arm stand up when I go to see them and I enjoy their catalog more. Chris Fretwell said Iron Maiden's popularity in South America obliterates Judas Priest. Well, not just South America. There's a lot of places they're bigger. Keith Rochford said both are classic and amazing. Priest paved the way that Maiden then steamrolled over everybody else. Maiden is easily more popular and that is my preference, but both are vital to the creation and existence of metal. Totally agree. Tim Rawlings, Priest All the Way. I don't want a 10-minute history lesson when listening to metal. And Bruce's voice irritates the hell out of me. The only thing that Maiden wins is their merchandising department. Sorry, fellas. No reason to be sorry. It's okay. Let's talk about merchandising a little bit. You know, I got this room in here. Eddie is all over this room. And there is an Eddie factor. And, you know, we were talking about off the air a couple of weeks ago, the t-shirts for the specific areas. I'm not talking about... You go to any Joe Schmo concert, we'll pick on Zach for a minute, go to a Black Label Society concert, he's going to do 35 dates, he's got those 35 dates plastered on the back of a black shirt, and on the front it's you know the BLS logo and maybe something cool for that one tour cycle. But it's the same shirt in every city. I'm talking about, they play in LA, Eddie is taking a bite out of the forum. They play in San Francisco, Eddie has taken a bite out of Golden Gate Bridge. They play in New York, Eddie has a Mets hat on, he's hitting a homer outside of the park. Like, that is ingenious, and that makes you huge. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Do you have any Eddie stuff hanging around your house anywhere? I have bits and pieces around here, but I would say that Eddie and the Iron Maiden logo and that whole merchandising thing is damn near close to the Nike swish of rock and roll. Maybe not quite as iconic as the Stones lips and and mouth, but pretty damn iconic. Yeah, and it touches Kiss right now. Gene Simmons, like, you can buy toilet seats. You can buy condoms. Like, I don't think there's Eddie condoms anywhere, but uh, Eddie is cool, right? And it connects with teenagers. It connects with adults. And I've got tons of Eddie stuff. You know, we talked a little bit about Priest is more popular in the U.S. Why do you think that happened? Do you think that happened because Priest was part of the initial new wave and they got here earlier and Maiden was still trying to work out his chops? Well, and I think that rock radio was more accepting of Judas Priest in the early years, like we talked about. They're more straight ahead, which makes it easier for the radio programmers to put a song like Living After Midnight or Breaking the Law on versus The Trooper and Run to the Hills, right? I guess, yeah. And you're not going to put, you know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner on radio, so... Yeah, that makes it tough. Maiden's got no shot nowadays <laughs> unless the <laughs> unless the program director or the DJ wants to go take a piss and go eat lunch <laughs> for once <laughs> on. That's true.
All right, so let's talk members and member changes because I thought when I was kind of putting everything together, it wasn't a surprise, but it's very interesting on the timing. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Ahmed Smith said, Maiden all the way. I like Adrian and Dave's guitar harmonies better. Nico is a beast on the drums and the songs are a little more epic. Priest is a shit and all, but not next to Maiden. Steve Harris versus Ian Hill. Come on now. Christopher Powell says, Maiden are easily far more popular. I like Maiden more, but that doesn't mean Priest sucks. I like them too. Just that Maiden hits the prog fan in me. Although Tipton and KK are great guitarists, neither one of them can compose a solo like Adrian Smith. And let's talk about Nico. His double hits on the snare, intricate hi-hat work makes him stand out from virtually everyone else. Last but not least, Steve Effin Harris. His monster gallops on the bass are awesome. You know what? Just saying that gave me goosebumps just now. I don't know why. That was weird. Mike Rowan. Judas Priest is better. I believe Maiden's more popular around the world. I like Priest best. Why? Because I think their songs vary more than Maiden. I like variety. I also believe Halford is a much better singer than Dickinson. So I was thinking, you know, let's, you know, you and I kind of compare the musicians against each other. Who do we think is better? Nickel versus all the Priest drummers. To me, Nickel's better. How about you? I don't know, man. Scott Travis is pretty damn good. I mean, Scott Travis was in Racer X. So technically, I have to say, as much as I like Nico, technically, Scott Travis is a better damn drummer. KK and Glenn versus Adrian and Dave. I'm sorry. I think I got to go with Adrian and Dave. I got to go with Adrian and Dave. I've always voted them since almost day one as the best guitar tandem in rock and roll. I mean, I think they're amazing, those two guys. Harris versus Hill, we'll just skip. (laughs) (laughs) Do we we really need to go there? (laughs) Poor Ian. And then Halford versus Dickinson. All right. I am the bigger Maiden fan versus Priest. No doubt. I will tell you Halford is the better singer because there is times where Dickinson, right? He starts getting like very opera preachy, which does get annoying at times. I'm assuming you like Halford better. I think I like Halford's voice better overall. I'm not going to say that Halford's a better singer than Dickinson. I just prefer Halford's voice better than Bruce's. Every 
And then before we get to the final thing here, which is very interesting, Rob Webb says, for me, priests are more consistent and varied over a whole back catalog, made are more popular going by sellout arenas worldwide. Thinking classic lineups, Priest made more inspired choice for a replacement singer in the 90s, but invariably neither could survive without the magic of the two iconic singers that made their names with the band. Needless to say, love them both. So then I started kind of doing a little bit of just kind of data gathering. And here's the story. Halford was gone from Priest from 92 to 2003 for 11 years. There were no albums from Painkiller to Jugulator, which is a seven-year span between 90 and 97, and they released two albums without Halford. Dickinson was gone from Maiden from 93 to 99, which is only six years. There was two albums from 90 to 97, Fear of the Dark and X Factor. One, Dickinson was on. One, he was not on. And Maiden released a total of two without Bruce. So do you think that it's possible that Halford being gone five more years and having two albums less in a time frame where basically our music is dying and grunge is trying to take over, that that hurt Priest's ability to sell out stadiums today? No, because I don't think either band was doing much during that time period. So even if Halford was there, I don't necessarily know that it would have helped them. It just wasn't what was the music of the time at that point, right? And do you think Dickinson coming back in 99 on the heels of Kiss's reunion tour, now Maiden is basically doing a reunion thing. Does that help Maiden come back big versus Halford coming back four years after that? People undersell the fact that it wasn't just Bruce coming back. It was Adrian Smith coming back. And that packed a punch. I don't know in the scheme of things at the time whether it was a really big deal or not. I don't think so. I can't understand like the growth that they've seen in that time frame. So I don't know to speculate. It certainly couldn't have hurt. So in the end, you know, we wanted to answer the question, who do you like best and why? For me, I'll answer first. I like Maiden best. I've always liked Maiden best. They caught me in the live aspect. That was part of it. And then Eddie. Eddie really took it over the top for me. I'm a huge Kiss fan. This room is full of all kinds of Kiss shit too. And that Eddie merchandising monster caught me, even though I am not a huge prog fan. I'm not a huge 10 minute song fan. Most of the history I know is from Seinfeld to Flintstones. And I guess Iron Maiden, that's basically where I know all my history. I remember telling my kids the other day, I'm like, you know, uh, about Icarus and how the hell do you know about Icarus? I'm like, cause Iron Maiden has a song about them, you know? So it hit me in a way the priest never did. How about you? It's going to be hard for me. I would literally have to go and compare album to album to see which one I like better. I'm probably split down the middle. I guess if I'm forced into giving it a nudge to one side or another, I'm probably going to lean towards the priest side because I'm more of a straight ahead metal kind of personality than the intricate prog metal, if that's what you want to call it type stuff. For me, priest has put a lot of stuff out that I like a lot. Now they definitely had some stuff that sucks, but maiden after somewhere in time, to me, Maiden just became like this bloated, epic song writing thing that 
I'm not a huge fan of. That's not to say that they haven't had some amazing records and amazing songs in that time period. I absolutely love that return record with Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith. Brave New World is a really good record, and I like it a lot. So they've definitely put out great material. And in each Maiden record, I usually find something that I like. And it's usually an Adrian Smith <laughs> song where he wrote the riff. Like, for instance, Book of Souls, I like Speed of Light. And I think that's an Adrian Smith song. And it's a straight ahead metal song versus cloud in the sky or sky in the clouds or cloud in the nine cities or whatever the hell 20 minute piano solos and all this stuff it's just not for me i don't love it if you do that's cool you do you boo but uh it's not for me i like the straight ahead three and a half four and a half metal straight riff i dig it so but i love both both bands are so important to my youth It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So neither band has a ton of history with KISS. Iron Maiden is open for KISS in Europe when they were getting started. I'm sure they've played some festivals together, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a connection for me personally. So first three times I saw Maiden was in 87. And it was during the Somewhere in Time tour. I mean, I was all things made at that time. Wasted years had connected to me so much. And I wanted to basically consume anything that was Maiden. So I saw him in May of 1987, San Jose Spartan Stadium, Y&T, Tesla, and Wasted Open. Oh my God, that was such a great show. But three months ahead of that time, I saw him in February 13th of 87 in Sacramento at the Arco Arena. And in February 21st of 87 at Oakland, at the Oakland Coliseum, where this crazy sounding band called Vinnie Vincent Invasion opened for Iron Maiden, believe it or not. And one of the songs they played in the set list was Shoot You Full of My Love. So check this out.
what is that a euphemism for? Shoot you full of my love. That sounds nasty. <laughs> Vinny's nasty on that first album. <laughs> oh, God. I like that song, though. <laughs> oh, I can tell you Paul and Gene were pissed off. It was not a Kiss song in the 80s. I guarantee it. Let me share my maiden live story because I shared my Judas Priest uh, live story. So the first time I saw Maiden live, I snuck into the arena during the Power Slave tour, February 24th of 1985. And just like you see in some of the movies, I just acted like I belonged, went backstage and started helping set up. I ended up helping Nico's drum tech set up his drum kit. And they even gave me a working pass that I still have to this day. Wasp was the opening band on their debut album. I was on the barrier the entire time. I remember standing backstage and I met Chris Holmes and Blackie Lawless from Wasp. And I just remember they were huge, like they were super tall. I, you know, I was what, uh, 17 at the time, maybe. So that was my biggest memories from that period of time in that first Iron Maiden show. And it was amazing. I mean, I'll, I'll always have that memory and that's a big one for me. And that's why Maiden and Power Slave in particular are important to my, my youth. That was a big thing. Yeah. So nice episode overall, 200. We take two Titans. And talk about them both and basically get nowhere because I think we just kind of landed on. We like them both. Yep. 200 in the books, baby, man. It's been fun. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Hopefully people will enjoy this episode. And uh, we've enjoyed shooting the shit with everybody and having this passionate debate of Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. And I think the overall sentiment from most people is that both Maiden and Priest are hugely important to the heavy metal movement overall. You know, most people like one or both bands. And I'll tell you this, uh, and this is my last note for the whole thing is firepower was an absolutely amazing priest record a couple of years ago when that came out. So I look for them to hopefully come out with something that's as good, if not better when they release this new album, because I know they are working on a new record. So hopefully it's a fraction as good as firepower. Cause that was a really, really good record. And I'll tell you, as long as maiden keeps playing live come every year, every 18 months, to my part of the world in the United States, let me see the great show and you never have to put out another album again. And I'm good. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the great feedback over the years. Thank you for listening to 200 plus episodes that we got out there. Anybody crazy enough to listen to 500 plus hours of us yapping about stupid crap, you're a saint. Rock and roll's not stupid. Come get you some. Keep rock alive. Thanks, everybody. Here's to another 200 episodes. Rock on, baby. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.